My name is Rob Heron, and I'm the youth pastor here. And I'm very glad to be preaching this morning. We're continuing our series on the means of grace. When I say the means of grace, I mean things that God has given us to help us grow. That God not only provides salvation, but He provides channels through which we grow by His grace, and our faith is strengthened. These are God's provision for your growth. These are the Word, the sacraments, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer and fellowship. And this morning I'm going to be focusing in on prayer as a means of grace. As we read this morning, our confession of faith says that prayer is an offering up of our desires to God. And this morning, my main focus is on bringing your attention to the God that we offer our desires to. So if you would, turn in your bulletin to the passage of Scripture, which is Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. And read with me. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I feel weak. And I know that there's nothing I bring here except your word. And I pray that you would speak through me to communicate the truth of who you are and what you have given us. God, when we come to the subject like prayer, it's easy for our first instinct to be shame. But God, you call us into something that is wonderful and life-giving through prayer, which is a relationship with you through your Son, by your Spirit. And I pray this morning that that would be more and more clear to us. In your name, amen. For middle schoolers, if you're a middle schooler in here, dating relationships are both easier and a lot more difficult. And if you're a middle schooler, you may know immediately what I'm getting at. As a middle schooler, when it comes to dating, it's a lot easier because it's uh, less complicated in some ways. There's less at stake, less commitment. But at the same time, it's more difficult because it's a lot more awkward. And talking with many of you middle school students, you told me interacting with people that you like can be very awkward, or at least... That was the case for me when I was in middle school. Back when I was in middle school, there was a procedure of dating and how you went about it. And when I was in seventh grade, there was one girl that I really liked. I was crushing hard on her. And I decided to go through the procedure, which is that if you liked someone, there was sort of a grapevine that your friends, it starts with your friends, that they basically go on a covert operation to find out if that other person feels the same way about you. And then if through the grapevine you find out, then the guy, typically, would have to make the final, bold, awkward leap of having the five-second conversation where you ask the one question. 
do you want to go out? Which would be a yes or no answer, hopefully, somewhere in there. Hopefully, yes. And so I liked this one girl. And so I got to the point where I found out, actually, through the grapevine, that she felt the same way about me. She was crushing hard on me. But the step when I was supposed to go out and have that five-second conversation with her, knowing that she liked me, knowing that it was going to be a powerful moment, it would be good, I froze. It felt awkward. And mostly, I just felt a lot of distrust. Even though my friends had told me she's into it, she's going to say yes, didn't believe it. I didn't think the conversation would go well. I didn't trust her. And so what I did is I hid around a corner with kind of my head poking out just a little bit while I sent my best friend over to this girl to ask her the question for me as my head's peeking out and awkwardly watched him walk back over to me. And the answer was yes, which was very exciting. But the relationship lasted two weeks. (laughs) It was a very short relationship. This conversation, I knew it was going to be powerful and good. I knew that this girl wanted to have it. But I hid from her, nonetheless. This actually gives us a pretty good picture of our experience with prayer. We know that it's supposed to be powerful. Because through it, we know God. It's supposed to be good. Because through it, we know God's love. And we even know or we... We believe, because Scripture tells us, we assume on some level that God wants us to pray. Maybe. But prayer is also difficult. C.S. Lewis says that when we pray, often finishing prayer is a relief. Why? It's because we want to hide from God. We avoid Him because we distrust Him. We don't trust His goodness. We don't trust that He really is in control of our lives, or that he will give us good things. We don't trust him as a father who loves us. We hide. And as a side note, as an honest note, I will say that preparing for this sermon was the hardest preparation that I've ever experienced for a sermon. Because I realize how little expertise I have. There's no pretension of expertise when I approach prayer because I realize how poorly I do it. And I realize how much my heart recoils away from God and hides from Him. There's so many questions that you may have about prayer, and I will not be able to answer all of them in this sermon. I need to say that from the the get-go. So my goal in this sermon is not to answer every question. That would be the job of a hundred sermons or more. And my aim in this sermon is not to show you methods of prayer, even though that might be helpful. My aim is just to answer two questions. This is not my outline, but these two questions. What is prayer, and who is the God we pray to? What Jesus shows us in Matthew 7 is this. This is the heart of what I'm getting at this morning. That we must pray because we must know the God of prayer. We must pray because we must know the God of prayer. And I want us to look at prayer, what it is, and the God we pray to looking at three different angles from Matthew 7. And that's the invitation of prayer, the promise of prayer, and the heart of prayer. The invitation, the promise, and the heart. So first, the invitation of prayer. And what we see in Matthew 7 is that God invites us into conversation. 
So moving into the text, look at Matthew 7, verse 7. And Jesus gives there three commands. Ask, seek, knock. And these are not three separate commands or three separate commands about types of prayer. These are actually all one invitation into prayer as an invitation into conversation. Ask to come to God with your requests, to seek Him, to pursue Him, to knock at the door, to do those things persistently. And God invites us into conversation. The conversation because there's actually an answer to each part. Ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be opened. There's a back and forth of conversation. God invites us into something. God initiates conversation through His Word. We respond. And then to that response, God answers. So it is a conversation. Secondly, Jesus shows us that God invites us to pray persistently. Those three commands are actually ongoing actions. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And the sense is that God wants us more and more to pray, to come to Him and offer up our desires to Him in conversation. That it's not a nuisance for Him. He wants it. Some of you that have small children... Or even if you you spent any time around small children, you know that from a certain perspective, they're not very good conversation partners. They actually get distracted very easily. They talk too fast. Or sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Or if you're wondering if they're making things up. Especially when it comes to young children telling stories. And I love watching young children tell stories where you're not really sure if they're talking about something that really happened to them or it slips into a dream they had, their imagination takes over. I've heard children tell stories where it it sounds like all three, where it's sort of like, I woke up today and then a chicken came in and a chicken, he knew it was my birthday and he gave me a present and I didn't want the present, I didn't know how to tell him and then I fell down and then we all had fun. And that's the story, something like that. And you look it up on YouTube, stories that young children tell are hilarious. But even though they're not, from a certain perspective, not great conversation partners, if you have young children, you delight in them doing that, and them telling you these stories or to speak to you. And when they respond persistently, that they may not have much to offer that's articulate, but actually you long for them. Most of the time, you long for them to speak to you. And to do it persistently. And that's what Jesus is saying about God and our prayers. That God invites us into conversation and to do it persistently. And we see is that prayer is not for God's sake, but for our sake. It's not because God needs conversation partners. It's God, because He's triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that eternally He's been within Himself a loving and perfectly satisfied conversation and relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally loving one another and proclaiming their love to one another. And so what God is doing in prayer and giving it to us, He's inviting us into the fullness of that conversation to know the love of God that He has within Himself. One of the reasons we avoid and hide from God and do not pray Because we assume that God's angry with us. Disappointed in us because we don't pray enough. 
We don't have enough to bring to the table. I'm not articulate enough. I don't know enough about him to pray. So where do I even start? But when we see that prayer is an invitation, that fear, the shame starts to melt away. We see that God delights for us to speak to him. But he also asks us to do it persistently. And God calls us to pray persistently, not as a way to earn anything, but because prayer is the means of knowing him. I don't know of anything that's very good that doesn't take work, doesn't take effort. And so prayer, which is the best thing we have, it's the best thing God offers us, knowledge of himself through it, it takes persistent work. But when we see that it's not a way to earn his favor, that we already have it because of Jesus and his death on our behalf, we actually see that we should just start babbling. And that's the language that Paul Miller uses in his book, A Praying Life. So this morning you feel like prayer is daunting. Many of us are in that place. My advice would be to just start babbling, to go to God. And he knows that you get distracted in your prayers. Or often you say the wrong thing and you have to correct yourself. And it doesn't feel that articulate, doesn't feel that magical. Prayer works because God invites it. Not because you're articulate. So God calls you to come and pray persistently knowing that he delights in you. So that's the first thing. But the second is that God makes promises about prayer. If you look back at the passage... And first, God makes promises about prayer itself. The first thing being that prayer works. It works. It's effective. And see that in verse 8, where it says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. Jesus again repeating that when you pray and you ask, it will be given. It works. But at the same time, Jesus makes it very clear That it's not the talent or the gifts of the person who's praying that makes prayer effective. It says, everyone who asks receives. It's not about you and your merit. Your prayer is effective by the work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, God makes promises about what prayer brings. You see in verse 8, the prayer brings what it asks for. If you knock in desiring that the door will be opened, it will be opened. The obvious question comes up here. What about all of the prayers that seemingly go unanswered? We pray that God would remove sickness, and it remains. We pray that God would heal conflict, but the conflict continues. We pray that God would give us a relationship, whether romantic or friendships, where we feel known, and where we know others, and we remain lonely. I want to absolutely acknowledge these things, that they are serious concerns. To say, God, when I prayed for this and longed for it, it seems like you didn't show up. But I want us to focus on this question. What is God actually promising? What's at the heart of his promises? There's a movie called Shadowlands, which tells the story of C.S. Lewis and his relationship with a woman named Joy Davidman that he eventually married. And the movie welcomes us into seeing their relationship grow and their love for one another. But at one point, 
Joy is diagnosed with cancer. And C.S. Lewis begins praying more and more desperately that you'd be healed. You know, and at one point in the story, things are looking a little bit better. And one of C.S. Lewis's friends comes to him and tells him, Jack, I've seen how hard you've been praying. And God is answering it now. So that's wonderful. And here's what C.S. Lewis in the movie, played by Anthony Hopkins, here's what he says. That's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. It's a very true statement. When this character says, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. What God promises in prayer is himself, most of all. His unchanging self. When we pray to God, Jesus is calling us to pray as he taught us to pray. And we did that earlier. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus calls us to pray to the God who exists and who rules and reigns. We're not to pray to a cosmic vending machine that gives us everything that we desire when we want it. We're not to pray to a God of our imagination that we fashion in our likeness. That's not the God we're to pray to. Jesus tells us to pray to the God who's revealed in the Bible, who holds our lives, this entire world, and all of our fates in his hand. And we're to pray for his will, his plan, his desires, over and above, and even even at times, against our own will. And we're to pray in Jesus' name, as the one who gives us access to the Father, while we have his ear. And the more that we pray to the God that's revealed in the Bible for his will and in Jesus' name, the more that we come into contact, into true knowledge of God himself, that we experience his presence, that we enjoy his goodness. That's what God is promising. But what prayer brings is transformation of us and our prayers. It brings transformation of ourselves and our prayers. As C.S. Lewis in the movie says, prayer doesn't change God. It changes me. That we don't pray so that we can try to change God's mind or try to get him to just do what we want. We pray because we need to trust him and trust his will above our own, even when his will seems hard to digest because we believe that he's good. And in an immediate way, the more that we pray to the God who is, for his will, we stop praying, God, make me filthy rich and incredibly famous. Give me a six-pack. Whatever it is. We stop praying for shallow things. Because we see that nowhere in his word does he promise that. Nowhere in his word does he promise to make us filthy rich. And actually, to the opposite side of that, Jesus actually tells us, We're to loosen our grip on what we own. And we're to become humbled. So God changes our desires through prayer. But not in a superficial way. But in a real way. 
as it changes us to desire more than anything. Yes, to desire healing and right relationships, but more than anything to desire the things that He promises. Righteousness, holiness, wisdom, faith, joy, peace. These are the things that God says, pray for My kingdom and I will give it to you. More righteousness, more joy, more peace in us and in our relationships. But in an even deeper way, we start to pray for everything. Not just when crisis hits, but we pray for the even very small, seemingly small things. We pray for conversations, meals, meetings. We pray for our families, for our friends. We pray for everything. When we lose something, when we lose our keys, we pray to God because we know we're changed to trust Him, know that He's in control. And He asks us to come to Him with everything even as we desire his kingdom the most. But also, we pray not just for ourselves, but for others. Jesus says, even for our enemies. We begin to pray God's blessings and his salvation for people that oppose us and have wounded us. Prayer changes us. It changes us as we come to know God as he is. That's the promise of prayer, but finally, the heart of prayer. What is prayer all about at its deepest part? And the heart of prayer is God's fatherly love. And we see this in verses 9 and 10. Where Jesus says, Or which one of you, if his son asks for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? All of you who are parents, know just the thought of your child asking you for something that he or she needs, a meal, clothing, The idea of giving them something useless, a rag to cover themselves, or poison instead of food, it's gross. The thought of that is gross, offensive. You can't stand the thought of that. And at the same time, if you're a parent, to be honest, you know that you have had malevolent and malicious thoughts about your children. Jesus says, we are evil. There's wickedness inside of us. And even so, you instinctively, and you, by God's grace, you know, unthinkingly, to give your children what they need. To give them good things. Food, clothing, education, hugs, all the things that they need. You do it, unthinkingly. And that's without regard for how well they've behaved. Even when they've been disrespectful, you feed them. You clothe them. You don't throw them out in the cold. How much more, Jesus is saying, is God's fatherly heart caring for you? How much more is his heart delighting in you? And that's the second thing. God's fatherly love turns our hearts towards him in prayer. His fatherly heart heart turns us toward him in prayer. Children instinctively trust their parents. They do. They grow up naturally trusting But we don't instinctively trust God because we don't believe that he's handled our lives very well. We don't believe he's given us bread and fish. And actually, the deepest reason why we hide from him is because of our experience in a painful world where it feels like God has not given us bread and he's given us a stone, something useless. Instead of a fish, he gave us a serpent, something that hurts us. 
Often our experience makes us think that God doesn't really love me or else he would not have given me this painful, hurtful, hard life. But Jesus tells us in the midst of that, in the midst of that pain, that God's heart towards us is loving as a father and that his delight is to give us good gifts. How is that possible? When I was, I think, four years old, uh, it was Christmas Eve, and every Christmas my sister and I would play, uh, looking back at it, a very lame game, that we, we would go up in the, uh, the playroom close to the attic, and we would play Santa Claus. Um, and we would hang out there for hours, and she would be inside of this wooden playhouse, just waiting for me, and what I would do is I would dress up as Santa and fill a garbage bag full of trash and boxes, and I would pretend that I was Santa Claus, and I would get on top of the playhouse and kind of step across the playhouse and make a lot of noise and say, ho, 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 and my sister would say, oh, who's that? I wonder who it could be. (laughs) Couldn't be Santa Claus. We did that every year. I don't know why, but (laughs) this year, things went a little bit south, And all of a sudden, as I'm on top of this fake roof and I'm wandering along, I accidentally slip off, off of this place that fall about five feet, land on my back, and all of a sudden, I realize that I've tripped up this wooden ladder that I would use to get on top of the playset, and it's falling right towards my face. And so all I can do is hold up my arm like this to block it, and my left arm shatters. And I'm in an incredible amount of pain. So my parents rush me to the emergency room. A couple hours later, the doctors are ready to take us in, uh, to take me in, to get a look at my arm and to start treatment on it. Uh, The doctor says, uh, and I don't even know why he would ask this, he says, you can only have one parent with you in the the x-ray room. And instinctively in that moment, I don't know why I said this, but I said, dad. (laughs) And my dad jokes and tells me that that was the greatest moment of his life. (laughs) And he says that he, uh, facing my mom, moonwalked into the x-ray room with me, (laughs) pointing at her and laughing at her. They're great. He's funny. But in that moment, uh, my dad, he's joking, I don't think that's the best moment of his life, but in that moment, looking at my pitiful self with my broken arm, he wanted me to cry out for him. And he wanted to be with me in the midst of my pain. He wanted to be in there with me. And what Jesus is saying is a lot like that. Saying that if you are evil and you have this type of love for your children, how much more does your Heavenly Father love you? And so through prayer, what we experience is God's heart toward you, His fatherly love. That through prayer, prayer you come to know that God is the one who truly cares for you. Most of all, more than anyone else could possibly love you or care for you. The purpose of prayer is to know who you belong to, who really will handle your life and take care of you. And that's in the midst of suffering, that when you suffer and as you pray to God, crying out, Abba, Father, in the midst of that pain, your heart is reminded of God's heart toward you. And you see that all the painful things and the suffering has to be working out for your good. 
Not only that it is in some cheap way, but it has to be because God loves me that much. He has to be working this for my good. But also more than that, you begin to see that God, God's fatherly heart in everything, everything that's good in your life. Often when we pray for things, we pray for even healing of a, of a cold, and suddenly we get better, often the first thing I think is that was going to happen anyways. There's a natural explanation for this. I took medicine and I got well. And I don't give thanks to God for his work through the medicine and through his care in my life. But the more that we see God's fatherly heart, the more that we see that in everything he is caring for us. Every good gift comes from him. And we more and more thank him and turn our eyes to him for anything in our life that's colored by kindness, colored by gentleness. Any music we listen to, any food we eat, any relationship we have that's good, to see that God's hand is in that. He's caring for us through that. So through prayer you experience God's heart, but also through prayer your heart becomes attached to God, to love your Father. The more you experience God's love, the more you love Him, and the more you want to pray. And the more you want to pray, the more you pray. And the more you pray, the more you see His love. And it goes from there. That through prayer, you see how much you desperately need God. That every thought, every desire, every relationship, every moment of your life must be offered up to Him. But through prayer and seeing God's heart, you want that. You want not to hide, but to give it to Him in prayer and to say, I trust you in this. This is yours. To confess when we don't do that. And to give thanks for the good that God brings into our lives. So my question for you this morning is, how are you hiding from God in avoiding prayer? Is it in self-reliance that when you experience anxiety, your first thought is, I just need to manipulate and control my situation. I need to control and manipulate my finances and my family and my relationships. Are you hiding from God in shame? Believing that he wouldn't want to hear you speak to him. Why are you hiding? We will continue to hide until we see that God's heart toward us is the heart of a perfect father. Then we will pray when we see his fatherly heart. And this brings us to Jesus. The only way for us to really, truly know what God's heart is, to look to Jesus and look to the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus' prayer was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That at the cross, the Son willingly lost fellowship with his Father that he had enjoyed eternally. And the Father, at the greatest pain to Himself, lost loving fellowship with His Son. And that He gave His Son up into the curse that we deserve. Why? So that we would be able to call God our Father in prayer, dependently, forever. That when we pray to God, we would know that we have His ear because His Son intercedes for us. That when we pray, we know that God uses it because of Jesus Christ, the Spirit is given to us, the Spirit of adoption. 
Only then, when we see God's love for us in Jesus, will we pray. Because the God who's willing to suffer the loss of his son, and the son who's willing to sacrifice himself for us, that's a God that not only can we trust, but we must trust. We must pray to God because we must know the God of prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you um, are here and present this morning. I know that you hear me even now. And it's only because of Jesus and what he has done for us, what you have suffered for us, Father. And I pray that you would give us a new desire to pray to you, to depend on you as children. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.